0: All right. Well, welcome to the midlife podcast show for my listening and view, uh, viewing audience. Yeah. I had a hic- hiccup there. Uh, today we have Douglas Sands. He is a weight loss hypnotist. That's great. Welcome.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: Yeah. So I'm an East coast guy. I live in North Carolina, kind of middle of the state and currently where you're at.
1: I'm currently living out in Utah. Uh, I grew up in Wisconsin, if you can kind of tell by my accent. But I am um, living out just above Salt Lake City, up in the up in the mountains there.
0: What brought you to Salt Lake City? The I skiing, mean, actually. The skiing. Yeah, okay.
1: I I didn't really know that there was such great skiing out here. But since I started, it, I've just fallen in love with this place for the skiing.
0: Is there any skiing locations in Wisconsin?
1: <laughs> uh, there are but they are very very limited uh, they call them ski mountains but they're definitely more like ski hills you get to the oh, top okay. and you can basically go straight down and you, you beat your chair to the bottom so it's there's not so a lot there's of some down.
0: killer black diamonds in exactly Utah. <laughs> <laughs> yes
1: uh, there's a lot more challenging terrain out here and so uh, i've been out here a couple of years now and i'm still exploring new places
0: Good for you. Um, I'm more of a beach guy than a mountain guy. Uh, I'm lucky. Lucky for me, I live right in the middle of the state of North Carolina. So to the west, we have mountains and to the coastline to the east of us. And my wife loves to ski and I snow plow. And I'm six, <laughs> I'm six, three, like two thirty, yeah. and my knees kill me mm. when I get done with skiing. And, th- and, you know, our slopes are nothing technical, like what you're experiencing out West, mm-hmm.
1: but it is, I mean, I have, I have skied in New Hampshire and it's a completely different feel on that ice on that, um, on that different, um, snow conditions for sure.
0: Well, you just said it ice, we get yeah. more ice on the East. Then we we, that powdery snow we we know nothing of that. (laughs) Yeah, uh,
1: just just to mention the powder, um, we had a three day snow a three day storm that rolled uh, and kind of like got trapped in the canyon where I live, Um, and we got about twenty four inches of really fine powder snow. So got pretty. Yeah,
0: man, the powder, man. (laughs) You got to get that accent. You got to get that slang going. (laughs) (laughs) All right, how did you become a hypnotist oh gosh I, it's a, not everybody yeah. says like i'm gonna i'm i want to be a hypnotist
1: exactly it was something that kind of fell into my lap and i first went to school for um psychology and for english mm. and um i was trying to figure out what i was going to do with my life um so i went so i moved out east to new hampshire to you know the northeast i should say and um i started hiking for the first time and at that time, I was dealing with a lot of mental health issues. I had a lot of anxiety and uh, depression. And uh, I was dealing with those kind of by shoving my emotions away, often, often with food. That's kind of how it ties into what I do now. But I had a pretty watershed moment on a hike when I got lost in a blizzard. And I realized you know, that I couldn't keep just pushing my emotions away, that I had to actually face them and deal with them. So I started looking into ways to deal with it. On my own and actually take ownership of that and I discovered meditation which growing up in Wisconsin was pretty radical for me and through meditation I discovered hypnosis and like a lot of people I thought hypnosis was just like a placebo effect or it was you know just a stage show gimmick or it was mind control or something I had a lot of misconceptions about it and so uh, I started learning it as like a, a side passion project just to help my own issues and then I started helping just, you know, family members and friends, and I was so interested in it that um, I essentially just started a practice kind of by accident. And so um, over the years, I've done um, quite a few different areas of hypnosis, you know, anxiety, confidence, and other areas, but the weight loss and the emotional eating is the one that really rang true for me because it was such an issue in my early life. And so now that's really what I specialize in.
0: I know that, uh, for me, I'm such a type a individual and, and driven, but, and it's good for, uh, like some of my success journeys, but it's not good when you're a stress eater. I'm a stress eater. Yeah, I was and, as well. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you when it comes to high stress days, I'm looking for carbs. I'm looking yeah. for sugar. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I wouldn't think about having somebody and this is what i think of hypn- yeah. hypnotist you know somebody maybe with a top hat i'm thinking of the circus <laughs> yeah maybe some gypsies and yep. or a guy with a watch pocket watch right <laughs> yep so um were you um trained i mean is this something legit that is certified so yes
1: yeah so I'm, that, unfortunately there's not like a, a a governing body of hypnotists like there are for nurses and doctors. There just aren't enough of us. I think there's something like 17,000, either that's in North America or around the world total.
0: That's a small number.
1: Yeah, there's not quite a lot of us out there right now. And so um, there's just not the bureaucracy for it right now. Um, There are some hypnosis schools and trainings that are much more reputable than others. And the cool thing about many hypnotists, myself included, is that we are constantly learning from each other. So I got my initial training from a guy out of Toronto, but since then I've been trained in Nevada. I've been trained in um, Colorado and Utah by different trainers. And I'm constantly learning and constantly growing um, what I'm, you know, what I'm practicing. And what I find really interesting about hypnosis, specifically for change work, not for the stage show, um, is that there are a lot of crossovers from psychology and from psychotherapy. Um, And so I often say that, you know, to learn how to hypnotize someone that can, you can learn that in like six months or so, but to actually learn the techniques and the the bedside manner and the strategies to help someone change once they get to that hypnotic state um, that takes, you know, two years, three years, and then the, the experience to really make it flow. That takes quite a long time.
0: Yeah, so um, what is hypnosis? I mean, where did it derive from? Yeah. What was the first case?
1: (laughs) I think the first recorded case of hypnosis actually comes from ancient Greece. Um, Mm. In ancient Greece, they would build these temples to the god of sleep, who was, you know, Hypnos. And they would go into these trances and do all kind of funky things, like hold snakes and chant and everything. Uh, you know, we've come a long ways since that. You don't have any
0: snakes, do you?
1: I do not have any snakes. Okay. <laughs> um, hypnosis as a as a practice as a actual treatment modality has been growing really since about the nineteenth, the middle of the eighteenth century, I should say. Okay. Actually, the eighteen hundreds. I'm not sure which century that is. But um, around 1840, 1850, that's when we first started seeing it coming on the world stage. It actually developed around the same time as modern psychology, modern psychoanalysis, actually Sigmund Freud, who many consider the father of psychology uh, was a failed hypnotist. He used to hypnotize people, but his dentures kept falling out. And so, oh, okay, he, exactly. And so he started at this um, psychology thing instead. Um, and Hypnosis has been, you know, it's got a very long history. But what hypnosis actually is, since about the 1950s, we've been able to put people into, you know, MRI machines and actually study their brain waves of what's going on in hypnosis. And essentially, what's actually happening in hypnosis is that we are slowing our brain waves down to get to a place that looks a lot like sleep. That's kind of why there's that myth of, you know, you're sleeping. But uh, when a person is, hip, in, is in hypnosis, they're awake, they're aware the entire time. Uh, what's really happening is we're in a brainwave state called theta frequency. And it's that state that hovers just above sleep. And what's important about that state is that the the critical parts of our mind, the parts of our mind that kind of stop us from, you know, if, if I told you that, hey, there's a purple dragon outside in the hall and he wants to meet you, you know, your mind would be like, no, that's that's not true. But in hypnosis, that part of your mind is a little more permissible, a little more accepting of suggestions that benefit you. It's not completely offline, it's still protecting you. And that's why you know the idea of hypnosis and mind control doesn't actually work. Um, because if you give someone in hypnosis a suggestion that they don't believe in, that's going to bring them out of that trance. That's going to violate that trust that you've built up with that subject and their mind is going to bring them out to protect them. So what's happening in that trance like state, when your mind is a little more accepting of um, suggestions, a hypnotist like myself is going to use um, tools and strategies and speak in a language that the unconscious actually understands, you know, our unconscious, it, it developed in that pre language state, when all we had was feelings and emotions, and sometimes images in our in our brains. And so our unconscious communicates with us, you know, with that gut feeling that something is wrong or that automatic response to pull you out of the street if you're in danger. With hypnosis, we are simply communicating with that unconscious in a way that it understands and allowing it to, uh, in the case of, you know, weight loss, allowing it to release habits that no longer serve us and then give it habits instead. I hope that that was kind of a rambling response, but I hope that kind of answers it.
0: No, because I think my listening. And viewing audience will want to know. Like, I don't think that, like you said, there's so a limited amount of hypnotists around. Mm-hmm. You, you're not going to go out to your local grocery store or doctor's office and find one uh, readily available to ask a question. We think charlatan, yeah,
1: it comes to my mind.
0: You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and not exactly. to demean your profession, mm-hmm. I think it's a lack of understanding of things we don't know. Um, so I'm glad that you're bringing some of these things up and also a history of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you, it's, you called it theta, is yes. that what that is? Is that, what is the levels? Like I know REM is the deep sleep so theta is how how, how, is, how yeah, does so that go
1: touching on the levels um there are i believe four basic waking states of of brain frequencies so what we're at right now you know in this conversation is beta frequency that's you know where we're at just awake and aware that's normal conversation okay below that we have alpha frequency and that's where we're at when we're in a light trance when you know, we're driving a car and we zone out and our unconscious is driving while we're thinking of other things. Daydreaming. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Below alpha, that's where theta is. Below okay. theta, we have delta and that's where we uh, con- come into REM sleep. Uh, delta is literally you're asleep for that. Theta is that state. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you're lying in bed, you're about to fall asleep and you have this brilliant idea that comes to you. That's because your mind was passing through that theta that creative state on its way to Delta and so that's that's an example that I often give that people relate with.
0: Yeah, I like that so now we know so we have beta, alpha theta delta mm-hmm. okay and you said me listening to you um, which is hard for me because I am ADHD I get <laughs> all over the place. Um, you talked about suggestion, and I yes. think that's where people are kind of off-putting about They're thinking, okay, well, you're going to mind-meld or some supernatural kind of thing, or you're going to suggest to be an animal, you know, like bark like a dog, hop, yeah. hop on one leg, uh, or go kill this guy. You know, you'll mm-hmm. see it in TV, right. Um, which don't believe everything on the internet is true people or on a television, So say I'm very, uh, cynical about this and you are going to treat me because I'm cynical and because I'm closing that mind, that maybe, um, persuasive type, I'm a hardhead. I'm like, yeah, this stuff is bull crap. Is it harder for you as a hypnotist to be able to hypnotize me? If I'm not yeah. open to suggestion, that's my question.
1: Yeah. If if a person does not want to go into hypnosis, they're not going to go into hypnosis, no matter what I say. Uh, that whole idea of mind control, it's it's simply false. And touching on the idea of the charlatan that you mentioned before, there's two kind of sides of hypnosis. There's the stage show side, and there's the actual change and therapeutic side of hypnosis.
0: Tell us the difference.
1: Yeah. So the stage show side is really, it's a lot of window dressing. It's a lot of performance ship and it's a lot of um, really playing it up. Now the actual act of hypnotizing someone, it's the same for both sides, but it's the, it's what people are using it for. So in the stage show performance area, it, the hypnotist has a vested interest and making the audience believe that this is mind control, that it is them you know, controlling whoever this is on stage because it makes them look cool and it sells more shows. But in reality, what a hypnosis show is doing is simply making it a little more, perhaps, perhaps the better word is um, lowering inhibitions. It's lowering that inhibition to do ridiculous things. People know before they even go on that stage, hey, I'm probably gonna do some silly things on this stage. And that's kind of that unspoken agreement, that unspoken contract they enter into. And so you notice in a stage show, they're often giving suggestions that someone might do at a party or something. If they're, you know, they've been having a few drinks or something, they're never giving suggestions to like, hey, go rob this bank or give me your life savings or something. Uh, I often tell people, you know, if hypnosis actually worked for mind control, why are hypnotists still doing stage shows? Why aren't they, you know, billionaires at this point? Right. And so um, coming back to the original question, if a person doesn't want to go into hypnosis, it's not going to work for them because what hypnosis really is, it's about me as a hypnotist guiding a person into that state. If they themselves as the, the, the client, the subject, they are creating that state in their own mind. And I am simply using language patterns and other tools to help them get to that state. And so if the person doesn't want to go into it, it's just not going to happen.
0: So you brought up like alcohol, because that was something that I was going to talk about was the alcohol does. uh, I'm on anxiety medicine. Does any type of medicines or any kind of psychotropic type things inhibit you doing your job or if somebody is they're not inebriated, but mm-hmm. they're feeling no pain is have you experienced any of that to where it would inhibit you to actually um, do, perform your job in a yes. way and in a manner?
1: Yeah, there are some substance, some substances that really impact that. One of the, the main requisites for hypnosis is the ability to focus. And if a person is inebriated, and um, their mind is all over the place, then they're not going to be able to sit down and focus for that. But when I work with, often when I'm working with uh, people with, you know, disordered eating or body image issues, they are on antidepressants or other medication for anxiety. And that's generally not an issue. As long as a person can focus um, and just, you know, relax in that session, there's typically not a problem there.
0: What if some people they're listening right now and they're going, well, all he's doing is, is like doing an in-person meditation session. That's all this is. Like, so why am I going to pay you or entertain that mm-hmm. when I can put on some Buddha chanting or some relaxing music on YouTube? Why do I go to to, to a hypnotist? Yeah, there is Cut a out very... the middleman.
1: Absolutely, yeah. There is a really strong link between hypnosis and meditation. And for anyone who's been in a guided meditation, that's kind of what hypnosis feels like. But they're definitely two separate areas. Guided meditation is simply about getting you in a relaxed state and just making you feel good. Whereas hypnosis is about getting you to a similar relaxed state, but actually making changes that are going to impact you for the rest of your life. It's actually kind of negotiating with your unconscious mind to release habits that don't really serve you completely and then give you habits that actually work better for you. And the link with that, the brainwaves, touching on that again, And when we're in solo meditation, our brain waves are actually speeding up faster than um, beta frequency. And so that's solo meditation is kind of its own thing, but guided meditation is actually quite similar. And that is going to bring people down to that alpha state, down to that theta state at times. And really the difference between those two is what happens when you get to that state with hypnosis, we are using tools from psychology and from NLP and other Um, types of language patterns to actually help a person release whatever they're dealing with and to make that change
0: are you familiar with nacho libre i
1: I actually am not no
0: what how (laughs) old are you
1: (laughs) i am 24 but
0: oh my gosh man you're young but god you don't know nacho libre do you know the premise of it i know the premise of it Yes. okay well then you have uh you know nacho is the is one of the wrestlers and the big time uh mexican wrestler they're oiling him up before the fight and mm-hmm. they've got a guy in front of him, and they're going your your muscles are number one your <laughs> you know your wrestling is number one and when you were talking i was thinking of that in my mind <laughs> uh Ramsey's is his name and it's like Ramsey is number 1 and you know so you're talking about when you said guided right yes. so is just tell can you tell us what you're telling your clients through yeah. some of that
1: there are there are a couple different um categories of things that I'd actually say in when they're in that hypnotic session, one is just kind of that beneficial suggestion category, like you were saying, like your muscles are number one, or in the case of um, weight loss or emotional eating, whatever it may be, you know, you have an abundance, or you have enough to eat, or you don't have to finish your plate if you don't actually feel hungry. That's really the, the original style of hypnosis. That's kind of what people expect out of a hypnotist. And it's still powerful and it's still effective. And so I throw some of that in, but what I'm often doing is actually using psychological processes and framing them in those terms of images. Like for example, uh, there's a one that I often run through when someone wants to release something, maybe it's some past trauma or some traumatic response or coping mechanism. Um, if I just tell them to release it, you know, the mind doesn't really know how to do that. And so what we're doing, what I often lead people through is a guided um, experience, essentially, where they, you know, maybe it's they toss, toss stones out of their pockets or they release balloons. And so with those images, we're communicating with that unconscious in that language that it understands and the, the imagery and the symbolism the, our unconscious does not come out and say, you know, you have this traumatic experience or you have this um, habit that's hurting you, even though that might be the most effective way to do it. So I'm simply couching ways of, um, you know, psychologists and psychiatrists in ways that the language or in ways that the you know, pre-language unconscious will actually understand and release those things.
0: So like a blotter test?
1: <laughs> I haven't actually used the blotter test. But uh, Ah,
0: so you didn't think I would know any I took psychology in college. okay? yeah, absolutely well, but I did take it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, the interesting thing about hypnosis is that many of the suggestions that I give are often intentionally vague, kind of like that blotter test. Like, what do you see here? Um, The suggestions, they're not like you're going to lose 20 pounds by the end of the month. They're like, you're going to reach that ideal weight for your own body. Because I do not know exactly what their definitions of healthy or, um, you know, achieving their goal weight, or releasing their body image issues. I don't know what their definition of that is. And so when I give that vague suggestion, that person is then kind of filling in the own, their own script for it. You know, they're filling in their own definition line by line. And that's really what makes hypnosis pretty powerful for each person.
0: Yeah. So it's not the mean, mean type guided ventures of you're a fatty, put down the cheeseburger, (laughs) stop putting your hands on the cookies, they will eat you or something like that. I get what you're saying. Yeah. So um, first things first. How have you ever been hypnotized? Is that part of it? Like I'm yes. in lo- I'm in law yeah. enforcement, right? Mm-hmm. So I had to. I was tased. I was pepper sprayed. I wasn't shot, but you know, uh, I, we do a lot of training. and And you talked about at the opening of the show that you do a lot of training. So mm-hmm. when you are with your peers, do y'all hypnotize each other? We work do. on that, it's- or do you have? I know for like our breathalyzer. Uh, test, we'll get like college students to come in. We don't let them go and drive back, but we'll give like one person, you know, maybe six beers, another person, maybe a shot of alcohol, and then we will gauge their roadside test. And then we'll put them on that instrument for the breath test. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about how with your training with your peers, what do you do? Do you bring outside people in, or is it just you and your peers?
1: oftentimes in the very beginning, it's just you and your peers. And so when I was, you know, training in, in hypnosis, I was hypnotizing other people training in hypnosis. And I was also experiencing trance quite a bit, which as you know, talking about being pepper sprayed and um, tased, it gives you that experience of what it's actually like. And so hypnosis, I'm sure is much more enjoyable than that. But sure. uh, <laughs> and so uh, when i when i know what hypnosis actually feels like for me i'm much more able to gauge kind of where that person is in their process because they're not telling me you know i'm i'm in that theta state now i kind of have to judge based on their body bodily reactions you know how relaxed they are and how they're responding to certain suggestions to judge where they're at and so um, a hypnotist yeah they really will stress that um, experiential learning and even when you know even though i'm now a I don't want to say fully fledged, but like an experienced hypnotist, even when I go to conferences, I am practicing hypnosis with, you know, beginners and experts who are farther along in the field than I am. And so hypnosis is still a, a very experiential thing for me as well.
0: Okay. So what is the, uh, the tier like for a hypnotist? Is there like a doctor level or, and where are you at right now to that?
1: I wouldn't say there are tiers so much. Um, A lot of hypnotists, I would say there are probably two groups of change work
0: or certifications or something to where you can say, okay, I want to, you know, if I had to pick three guys, right. I would want the one that has the most experience and knowledge. But if he just said he was a hypnotist, how would I know?
1: Yeah, that is a really great question. And uh, uh, I'm really glad that you brought it up. The the certifications that people get in the hypnosis field unfortunately they're not as um stringent perhaps as they perhaps ought to be um uh, you know there's not that governing body of, of a hypnotist that says this person is a hypnotist and this person is not and so a lot of private companies have now built up you know the the american national hypnosis um certification you know just as an example um and so a, a hypnotist who has a lot of certifications on their website, that might be a good sign, but it also might not. Because as I was going through my own, um, you know, certifications, I was looking into this. And some of these certifications, all you need is to pay like an annual fee and you get this stamp on your resume. And there's no real, there's no real quality control. And so when someone is looking for a hypnotist, what I recommend is to take those certifications with a grain of salt. I know hypnotists who are extremely skilled, who have only gone through like a single training course and they are making fa- fantastic changes. I know one who specializes, you know, he only does smoking and that's all he does. And he does fantastic work. I also know hypnotists who um, are on that perpetual training loop. They keep thinking, you know, I'm as soon as I get the next training, I'll be ready to actually work with clients. And so they've got like a list of 15 different certifications, but they've got no actual experience in that field. What I would recommend for anyone looking for a hypnotist is look for a specialist. There are so many hypnotists who will see anyone they'll, you know, help you with your confidence or your anxiety or your weight loss. And, you know, if you've got a plumbing issue, they'll do that on the weekends too. And so you're looking for someone who actually does one thing and does it really well. Like for the smoking example, uh, my friend, he literally only does smoking does, turns away anyone else for me. Um, it's that weight loss. It's that specialization in one thing. uh, Because when you are repeatedly doing it again, and again, you are practicing it, you are honing it, you're making a little bit faster. And for anyone looking, you know, trying to judge whether hypnotist online, or even in person is the right fit for them. I would say one look for if they're published. And I, I use that loosely, like if they're published in newspapers, or if they've got YouTube videos, or if they're um, on the internet, besides their uh, besides just their website, two look for actual reviews from other people. Look for reviews from their past customers, and three, one of the most important things is to see if that hypnotist works for you, if you've kind of vibe with them, because nowadays there are so many hypnotists who are entering that online field that if you don't, you know, if you don't trust or you don't click with that hypnotist in your local area just go find someone else. One of the most important, um, signs of if a hypnosis session is actually going to succeed is whether you actually trust your hypnotist or not, because if you don't, you're going to have a barrier. And if you do, you're actually going to be open to those suggestions.
0: How many clients have you had so far and how, how long have you been practicing and how many clients?
1: Oh, the clients, I don't have a hard number on the clients. I've been practicing for about two and a half years now. I've
0: just a special, guesstimate.
1: Yeah, I would say I've probably worked with um, 150 to 200 clients in this specific field. Wow! Um, I've probably hypnotized. <laughs> oh gosh, I've hypnotized people sometimes, multiple times. But I hypnotized
0: I probably, my mom and my dog thousands <laughs> of times.
1: <laughs> uh, I was. Um,
0: hey, that's good though, because yeah. I'm going to tell you, and not to cut you off. But maybe some of my listeners, including myself, was looking for a lower number. like you know, a lot of people want to get on a show and on a platform and you know you want you you're trying to promote yourself and your business and that's what I'm about is promoting people and their business success and getting things out and spreading the word. But I was thinking, you know you're going, yeah, you know, Jay, you need this and that and don't worry about that and then I ask you the question, you go, yeah, I've had two. <laughs> in two and a half <laughs> years, you know? Yeah. But uh, that's a lot of people.
1: Yeah, it has been, um, I mean, it's my full-time career. And so I've been really, it's, it's also my passion. Like I've really been, um, even though compared to some hypnotists who have been at it for, you know, 25 years or something, I've I've only got that brief amount of experience. But in those few years, I've had quite a bit of actual work in hypnosis. And the it's cool about thing quality.
0: About- it's yes. about quality. It's not about how many, but it's about quality. If you can save somebody or change somebody in a positive way, if you could just do one and change the course, it's way better than hundreds or thousands. And you really didn't make a difference because all you're wanting to do is to pay out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I couldn't agree more on that. Early on in my career, I felt very... um. I, I had this limiting block on myself because compared to other hypnotists, you know, I'm, I'm like 20 or 30 years younger than almost every other hypnotist out there. And so I, I thought, why are people going to trust me? And this older hypnotist sat me down and said, you know, if you can actually get them results, that's, what's most important. And so that was, that's really right. helped me grow as well.
0: It was good that he he's like, you're very good looking and you have a nice <laughs> voice. You'll be fine there you go. <laughs> you know, take it from me. No. Um, okay. So um, uh, it just left me. Maybe I'm in uh, Theta, right? <laughs> <laughs> it just left me. You ever get like that? You're like, do you ever get like that when you're trying to uh, hypnotize somebody? Or uh, have you, you have any, they're not funny, but any mm-hmm. kind of things anecdotal where you're doing this and then your, your mind goes blank. <laughs>
1: Yes, I do. Or,
0: or I've got this one. Yeah. You've got where you end up hypnotizing yourself while you're trying to <laughs> hypnotize somebody. And then they're going, they're going, hey, Doug, hey, snap out of it, man. Uh, th- you're supposed to do a me And you're like catatonic and you got like slobber all over you. And you're like, you're." and they're going, man, this guy's legit. <laughs> he's like so damn good. He's got himself in a trance. <laughs>
1: Uh, never to that extent, but what, one of the really interesting things about, you know, touching on that is that oftentimes when I'm really, uh, you know, when I have a really great rapport with a client, I'm actually entering a hypnotic state myself. And so, you know, I'm in that zone as well, perhaps not as deep as they are, but, um, you know, I'll be in, I'll, I'll check the clock, you know, it's a 90 minute session and 80 minutes have gone by and I'm like, oh gosh, I've got to wrap this up. And, um, other times, yes, I, you know, I've. I keep notes on, since I do all of my work online, uh, I keep notes on the side and sometimes, you know, those notes crash and I'm, you know, vamping for time, giving them just, you know, fluffy suggestions in the middle of their um, trance before I can pull that up and actually continue with the session.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, You what you need to do is focus on, and then you go blank and you're like, blah, blah, <laughs> blah. Here, let me turn on some easy listening music. Here's some Yanni <laughs> speaking of music mm-hmm. okay with the meditation it's all about the uh the hurts mm-hmm. do you add music or add any sound to it because they say in meditation like the sound waves or like there's a there's a certain level of meditation or a deeper meditation are you, are you familiar
1: i am so for when i do pre-recorded audios you know i sell some of those on my website or um i give some of those as well as you know free Free ex- experiences for and someone. Sp- and
0: since we're speaking about that, what is yeah. your website? Won't you go ahead my, and? Yeah,
1: my website is Anywhere Hypnosis. I built my website. I built my business to be online from the very beginning. Even when a lot of hypnotists, the hypnotists were like, you know, does that actually work? Um, I found that working online with people is actually sometimes more effective because a person is in their own environment. They're comfortable, and they're also in that same place where those triggers, those mental habits actually formed and so i get a lot of great results that way but anyway it's anywherehypnosis.com i've got some free hypnosis resources on there that people can check out Uh, but that back to the music when it's a pre-recorded thing and i can't actually judge their reaction and you know tailor the um tailor the experience to them then i definitely rely on that music but when i'm with a person in a uh, in a session you know face face to face or on zoom um, I generally don't use music. I find that it's kind of distracting. And if a person is in that rapport and the the trance is going great, they don't need it because they're just so relaxed that they would just be essentially background noise.
0: What's the percentage of people that you have seen so far achieve success in their weight loss?
1: I would say, you know, hypnosis is not for everyone. Let's preframe that. Um, I would say between 70 and 90% have lost at least some weight. Um, I have had people come back, you know, they lost a little bit of weight and they say, can we we tone some things up and really um, make this very successful? Um, Again, it's not for everyone. I think everyone can be hypnotized, but it's all about being willing to actually make that change. And it's also about their motivation to change if someone comes in and they're like my wife has been on my case for three years now to lose weight i'm like i you know i'm not sure this is going to be a good fit because your wife is wanting to you to change and i'm not sure you actually want to change (laughs) my wife is
0: on my ass right now man you've (laughs) got to help me put me in one of those catatonic states and (laughs) p.s don't ever wake me up
1: (laughs) there you go okay Yeah,
0: yeah go um go ahead and finish
1: i was gonna say it's all about that motivation I mean, if they're changing for someone else, just to get them off that case, that might not be very strong. But if someone is changing because, you know, their doctor said, you know, your, your health is terrible, you might not be around to see, you know, your kids graduate or your kids get married or something like that, or you see your kids are picking up those same patterns of overeating, mm-hmm. that can be extremely powerful. And that's when hypnosis is really, you know, it's, it's very easy to change in that in that moment.
0: Yeah, they're like, Douglas, I'm going to tell you, you know, my first session, I lost 10 pounds, but I really can't see my abs. Can you crank up the megahertz and (laughs) do a little bit better guiding me to my weight loss journey? I'm just saying, all right, have you ever hypnotized somebody and it's weight loss Mm -hmm. specific, but then it goes down a path where somebody breaks like mm. there are oil yeah. light kicks in, us southerners would say, uh, I know my oil light kicked in. Hashtag first panic attack, anxiety, mm-hmm. depression, uh, had to be put on medicine uh, from childhood trauma, mm-hmm. um, which is rough. And yeah. there were triggers, and uh, I just compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. And it was the pennies in the bank, and then yes. the piggy bank exploded have you had somebody pre piggy bank explosion to where you're doing a session and it unleashes the kraken, so to speak?
1: Yes. Kind of. Um, in the hypnosis field, we call that an abreaction. reaction. They um, kind of ab react and their mind goes, ah, they freak out. And um, what I find, well, part of my training, my initial training a really big chunk of that is learning how to deal with that in a, um, in an ethical way. And so you're not, you know, the first rule do no harm. Um, so you're not right. actually reinforcing that. Um, but what I find is that ab reactions are actually much less common than people think they are because in therapy, when we are kind of, um, you know, exploring these things, we kind of have to relive these emotions to, to get them out of our system. Oftentimes when you're in therapy and you kind of freak out, that's a good thing because you're getting it out of your system. But in hypnosis, we don't really have to relive those traumatic experiences to get rid of them. Oftentimes we're keeping the memory intact. We're just removing that, uh, that negative emotion or perhaps viewing it from, you know, the person who survived it, giving that, um, older more wiser experience back to that younger version of yourself um so yes to answer your question it does happen but um it's very infrequent and if your hypnotist is well trained and they're actually you know they've actually been practicing for a while they're definitely uh, experienced or they're definitely trained in how to help a person through that
0: yeah because i I was thinking when you said like the analogy of the balloons Mm -hmm. that one of the balloons burst Mm. with a traumatic memory and then they start going down that rabbit hole like how deep in your training and you went to college for psychology correct yes how deep in your psyche it where it fractures can you talk about where that is are are you able to are you willing to talk about like I had compartmentalized so much that everything around me you know, I was numb to it, right? And it was very, very helpful as a 24-year law enforcement professional going to homicide scenes and things, which those were the Monday, day in, day out things of trauma that I saw that I didn't even account for as my trauma, but it kept compiling onto my childhood trauma. And um, so how deep does one... To where it's in the abyss that where what you're doing or even a psychologist or psychiatrist gets to where it will start tapping as we speak Yeah. onto that Pandora's box.
1: Yeah, I think it really depends on how willing the client is to go deep into those things. Sometimes hypnosis sessions are pretty surface level you know they're just like I just want to lose weight I want to get rid of these habits sometimes we get into a weight loss session and it's like there's a lot of stuff to uncover here um, I often give the example of like a shrapnel wound um, if someone you know had they had that trauma in their childhood or wherever it is even if it's not like a huge event even you know in your case of the, the pennies adding up that is still something that we need to work through and sometimes we're uncovering those layers and I've had the case where, you know, I start in and it's I'm only planning on like a 60 minute session with this client. And we're just uncovering so many different layers. And uh, I can see you know, there's you know, I ask them, like, do you still want to keep going with this? And they're like, you know, they nod their head and they're like, let's let's resolve this. I've had cases where, you know, a 60 minute session turns into a three hour session just because someone is actually ready to make that change. It's kind of like pulling out that shrapnel wound. I and mean, when you've got to, you know, dig down to get to it. Um, There's a lot more work to get there. But once you actually remove that, that and wound or that, or you actually deal with that Pandora's box, um, that's when the actual change happens. That's when the healing happens. I, uh, I meant, I often mention that um, the hypnosis session, typically it's, you know, 90 minutes or so that that's kind of like taking the, the jar of marbles and like shaking it and like pulling out the bad marbles there's still going to be a, a, you know a couple of days or weeks or sometimes even months of your mind resettling those marbles and so the changes you get from hypnosis you might not notice them right away because your mind still needs to process everything that's changed and so i get people you know 3 months down the road saying hey i haven't had a panic attack in 3 3 weeks even though you know we didn't even touch on that it, it was about weight loss or something Wrong. it's it's really about removing those root issues And then all the coping mechanisms that we've built on top of that, they just start to crumble on their own.
0: I did an interview with Mana Abraham. She uh, deals with trauma and she's from Australia. And we had a discussion about uh, uh, what I I called, we put a lot of uh, Band-Aids on shotgun Mm. wounds. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just a quick fix. It's like an ER, right? In and out, in and out. Do you have a team Or do you have resources that you're readily, uh, to provide your clients if they do have a break or something that you're able to provide them to where you're going, that sucks to be you. I mean, I, I'm about you, you stop eating too many freaking cheeseburgers. Yeah. Do you have trusted professionals? Uh, what do you give them anything? Do you have any brochures or websites (laughs) to that they could go to, to get help?
1: I do. I actually work extensively with everyone from weight loss coaches to nutritionists to psychiatrists and um, even a suicide coach. And so, um, you know, if I feel that it's above above my head, essentially, I'm I'm like I need to refer this out. And one of the really cool things about um, about working online is that if someone is like, you know, they they message me at like 5 p.m. one night and saying like. I'm having it like an extreme meltdown. Like, can you help me if I have the time? Like that's my dedication to helping people. Like I'll hop on that call and help them out with that. And that really comes from my, my past with, you know, psychology and also when I first started, I was kind of doing all kinds of things. Um, I have a lot of extensive training with anxiety relief and PTSD and all of these different areas of, you know, dealing with those negative coping mechanisms and, um, getting that root trauma out of our life. And so even though, you know, someone might think oh he's just about helping people, you know, cut the pounds. Wow. There's there's a lot more to um, to what I do than just helping per- helping a person to lose weight because our weight is I often say it's just a symptom. Or if we are, you know, overeating because we are covering up, you know, we're trying to not feel our emotions from something we uh, you know experience in our childhood. I'm going to have to do a lot more work with trauma relief than actually dealing with that, that symptom. And once we deal with that trauma, I often find the symptom we don't need it anymore. So it kind of goes away.
0: Yeah. I think people don't realize that, you know, addictions is just not for like alcoholics or drugs. Uh, Unfortunately for me, and this is not a show about me, but people that have been following me know that I'm pretty Mm -hmm. jacked up and through my childhood trauma, you know, I was addicted to porn, I was into drugs, into drinking, a lot of wicked stuff. I was just somebody that never got caught and ended up being a career law enforcement officer. Um, and that is something that Mana and I talked about was, and you talked about it, which I that makes me feel really good, Douglas. It really does, because you started talking about root problem. Mm-hmm. You can do all the trimming that you want but if you don't get to the root of it something's going to manifest out of that absolutely right i mean you might you might lose some weight here but something else and i'm not trying to freak people out i'm just Mm -hmm. saying i've been there you could lose 50 pounds and be great but something else is going to manifest into that if you don't get to the root problem so i'm glad that you're letting us know that you have resources and that you're not too proud to say, look, if this stuff gets, starts getting out of my, you know, out of my wheelhouse, then I need to call an audible, audible and get somebody to help, Yes, get somebody absolutely. some serious help. And you didn't say, yeah, if that person calls me, I'm going to try to call them and I'm not going to say, well, that's that. Yes. I will happy to jump on there. If you'll send me $50 on. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Right, so that yeah. that's going to separate you from being uh, that person that we think of as a charlatan. Mm-hmm. That you're a, you're a real person. That's why I wanted to bring you on here. You're really trying to help people, and uh, and you're giving us awareness to um, uh, hypnosis. Right, uh, seventeen thousand is not a lot.
1: No. Yeah, there's. I mean, especially now that we're online, people are. Hypnotists are able to specialize in things that's kind of been a boon because we can get really skilled in stuff, but that's kind of the reason why hypnotists did everything because they were kind of expected to do everything for a long time.
0: What's in your tool bag when you do this? What's your tool bag?
1: Let's see. My main tool bag is, of course, hypnosis. Um, but I also have tools from psychology. I have tools from NLP, which is neurolinguistic programming. I have tools from acupressure and acupuncture. A lot of these are just anxiety relief tools that I have found. They're like emergency tools that I give people if, if I think they're you know in a really bad place. Um, a lot of what I'm doing is um, around dealing with trauma. I would say that's that's the number one thing that most hypnotists are trained in, even though we specialize in different fields, we specialize in confidence or anxiety or, um, you know, speech giving or whatever it is. But oftentimes we are removing that trauma because that trauma is often the number one thing holding people back.
0: So why didn't you go into something like a, tr- like, um, something else with a tool being hypnosis?
1: I thought about that without being afraid of
0: somebody making a joke of what you're doing. I
1: thought about when I first started learning hypnosis, I did think about going back to school to be a fully fledged, you know, psychologist. And, you know, I, for a long time I was going that route. And then I realized, you know, I'm, I'm doing this so that I have a legitimate reason, quote unquote, to do hypnosis. Whereas if I wanted to do hypnosis, there's, there's nothing stopping me from helping people and doing this change, Um, there are are so many different hypnotists out there for so many different things that if I wanted to do hypnosis, the only thing stopping me from doing it was me. And hypnosis was my passion. I still get to do a little bit of, you know, quote unquote, therapy with people to help them through and walk them through some difficult emotions. But hypnosis, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. And, um, it's one of the, one of my favorite tools for, you know, changing my own habits. And, um, I really just wanted to be part of that growing body of people who is, um, helping bring hypnosis as an actual tool to, to the masses.
0: What's your ethos?
1: My ethos, meaning my like mission, mission statement, statement or yeah. right. I think that's.
0: My mission Ooh, I threw you a curveball. You, you
1: did, yeah. My mission is at first it was just to help anyone with anything, and I was scattered. But since I've been specializing in weight loss, it's really to help people with the same issues that I went through. I went through a lot of struggles with my weight, a lot of struggles with my body image. And that was tr- that was rooted in that initial shrapnel wound. Um, and I had to deal with that initial thing to get it out of my life, and so when a person comes in to to see me and they've got body image issues or they've got disordered eating or they're simply just looking to lose weight, I can relate to that. And so it's not about earning money for me. It's helping people to get those negative things out of their life because I know just how hampering they are for them.
0: Well, you're a good looking guy. You seem like you're in shape. Uh, I tell people round is a shape. (laughs) Leave me me alone. So were you, bullied and picked on when you were overweight or I mean was you like extremely obese as a child and picked lo- on
1: looking back I wasn't extremely obese I was I was overweight till about middle school and then what happened it kind of flipped I I became really athletic and um on the outside I looked very healthy and that continued for years even past college and um but I still had that really negative relationship with my body image mm. and with food I just Um, I needed to actually work through that because I often tell clients, I, sometimes I work with bodybuilders and they're like, you know, I look amazing, but I feel terrible. And it's, it's that idea that, um, this, this beneficial thing, you know, this extra, uh, fitness may have come from an, from a hurtful place. And even though you, you know, quote unquote, have control over your food, uh, it's it's so rigid that food is kind of controlling your life in a different way. The the true the real healthy relationship that we have with food is when we don't struggle with it anymore, when we can overeat occasionally and forgive ourselves and just move on.
0: Yeah, we're looking at the fat kid. We're yeah. still the fat kid in our mind. I have that where I'll look at pictures of me in weight, different weight loss journeys. And I looked at a 10-year. Yeah. It was about 10 years ago when I was 35 and I took a picture of myself with my shirt off. And then I look at it now and I'm like, man, I thought I was fat. I thought I was on, un- mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't in really good shape and I'm like, man, I wish I looked like that now. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and I think we have those kind of, kind of, uh, ordeals. Well, I'm glad that we could get you on the show. Yeah, absolutely. I, this has been- Honestly, I'm going to tell you from me, you're doing the weight loss. I, I think, man, you've got something in trauma. Maybe that's something that can, you know, as you go with this, you're a smart young man and it seems you're intelligent. You're articulate. Uh, you've got a lot to give to people. Uh, I was amazed. I thought I was going to get some Jack leg on here. <laughs> that you know, was going to sell me some, you know, some tonic, some wonder. Yeah, tonic. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, and I had to force you to talk about your website, you know, cause yeah. you're here to promote yourself and I'm going to do a good job doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, you know, I think you got a lot in store for you. Well, thank you. Yeah. And now uh, it was, it was a pleasure to, for you to be on the show. So last thing on your yeah. tombstone, what would your epitaph, would you, what would you want your epitaph to say? Oh,
1: I've never actually thought about you know that exact <laughs> thing, but I'd love to be you know known for for much of my life, I wanted to change the world and to make it perfect. And now I realize that that's it's not going to happen in my lifetime. And so I'd want my, ep- my epitaph to say something like he helped as many people as he could with the resources that he had.
0: Okay. Well, for my listening audience, thank you for checking out this episode with Douglas. Uh, As always, I hope that uh, you'll return for our next show, and we will check you guys later. All right, let me... um...